You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Welcome to this edition of Inside Healthcare. Today we're featuring Vanessa Guzman. Um, she's an expert in population health strategies, including patient and physician engagement strategies, clinical reporting, health IT and quality management models, and CEO of Smart Rise Health. With almost 15 years of industry experience, she works closely with health systems, accountable care organizations, technology, and SDOH uh, partners to collaborate in implementing data-driven tools, clinical infrastructures, and community partnerships to promote wellness and improve patient health outcomes. Vanessa, thank you very much for joining us. For Thanks this. for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, most definitely. Um, so today's topic is accountable care organization payer collaboration. And um, let's get started with asking you some questions. So what are today's ACO and payer priorities? Uh, there's so much of that, um, you know, it, especially this is a, a very interesting year to say the least for, for all of us. I think uh, at this stage, you know, looking at where we're at in Q4 of the year, most of our payer and ACO organizations are very much focused on uh, three things and then, you know, getting our, ourselves back to no, as normal as possible or the new normal, as we say. So one is uh, ensuring patient safety or member safety at all times uh, in view of COVID. And as we anxiously wait for a vaccine to be released, I think uh, providers uh, can agree that that is the number one rule and the run uh, priority that they're focused on um, while maintaining the integrity of the care for the patient and managing populations that often um, are not yet engaged with the health system or the provider network to, to obtain the care that they need. And, and we're seeing that more commonly in underserved populations, especially. Uh, so that that that's certainly one, one priority. Um, the second is around uh, being able to provide patients and members with uh, alternative to care. Uh, we've learned new behavior in the last year. Um, so it's become uh, of the essence uh, to make sure that we have multiple communication channels um, so that we are able to both push but also acquire information from our patients uh, while maintaining, again, the, the integrity of their health. And then third is around uh, making sure that patient care is still a priority for both the patient and and those that are uh, caregivers, um, you know, even visits. Looking at visits uh, data between May and and July, we're still not where we should, right? So things like preventive care, closing gaps in care, has proven to be a challenge, and many of our partners are working really hard uh, to engaging members and patients uh, that have not been seen yet throughout the year and making sure that they are uh, still prioritizing preventive health. So I think that those are the priorities in a nutshell. Uh, of course, you know, with CMS and reimbursement models still at play um, in future years and still question marks on where, where we go to next as it relates to value-based payment models, uh, many providers and payers are still very much about how do we close gaps in care? How do we improve quality? Uh, uh, regardless of reporting needs, which again are, are shifting rather quickly um, and will continue doing so into 2021. 
So um, how do you describe a successful ACO payer model and what role does quality measures play in an, in an, in a, in an ideal strategy? Yeah, that's great question. So it, I think payers know this best, you know, they're, they're, one of their main priorities at all times has been to how can they better engage with providers in a way that where they can provide meaningful wraparound services so that they can together work in addressing um, health priorities for, for, the, for the membership. Uh, the most successful models that I've seen is where both the provider, whether that's an ACO, a health system or other, and the payer work collaboratively to have discussions around what makes sense for the population. So identifying what are the member patient needs is, is certainly the first step in the process, uh, followed by the resources and activities that will improve performance over time for that specific population. So I always say, make sure your strategy includes the voice of the patient, of the population. Uh, but because what we wind up doing is we, we build a bunch of processes that works for us as the healthcare stakeholder, but as, but as much as we, we think the, the initiative is, is member-centric is really not. It's centered around what is the, you know, the most effective way of delivering services, which is great. That's a good priority to have, but the number one priority still continues to be the customer. So um, the, the greatest successes I've seen is where both partners are in alignment with what success means to the customer, which is the patient in this case, um, and have models in place um, to have those communication uh, forms that include data and analytics and sharing uh, the most up-to-date data on performance, whether you know it's, re it's related to HEDIS or related uh, to patient experience, that we're all looking at the same source of information to make more informed decisions around that ACO arrangement or that value-based payment model so that, again, we reflect the voice of the consumer. And what are key elements for building ACO payer infrastructure to support quality in a value-based arrangement? And how do IT resources and infrastructure play into this decision? That's that's great. So the the number one uh, piece, right, after having conversations around what are the needs of the population is understanding what are the what's the infrastructure that we need to deliver the care that we need for the patient. And, and you mentioned earlier in, in part of your question, like what role does quality play into it? Well, data and quality go hand in hand, right? Um, so the, the, key to, the key success marker uh, is one, having a provider engagement uh, strategy that includes all stakeholders. So when we say provider, I'm referring to both clinical and uh, non-clinical. So it can include your physicians, your care team members, um, your community-based organizations and the, the, the role they play in addressing social determinants of health as well, right? To close gaps in care um, or help advance uh, gaps in care closure. Uh, but there's also what's in it for the patient. So it's important to understand what matters most to the patient and have a multi-channel strategy that gives patients the options on how they want to manage the relationship with their provider, right? So um, this year we've seen an uptake on digital health technology, um, everything from, you know, IVRs, interactive voice recognition technology, remote patient monitoring. We've seen, you know, 
things that we've seen in the past, like letters being sent out and posts or so. Again, generationally, I think we need to be very diverse with our communication um, so that we are able to touch each and every one of the patients in the way that makes the most sense for them meeting where, where they're at, right, versus where we're at. Um, the third piece I think that makes it an important and successful collaboration is having being on the same page around reporting um, and data share. So it's important that the payer and the, the provider recognize that it's important to consolidate information so that you're outreaching members and patients the right way based on the gaps that they do encounter. So many payers uh, rely primarily on their claims data uh, to let's say engage in patient outreach or member outreach, whereas the provider has the, the content of EHR data. So it's important that there is a process in place that marries the two types of data sets uh, so that it's whole. And when we're doing, whether it's quality reporting or when we're doing member engagement, uh, it's accurate and you are reaching out to the patients that need it the most in the most efficient ways, right? Using the most efficient use of your, of your resources. So, so I think that that is an important piece. And, and then lastly, the fourth uh, suggestion there is making sure that the strategies that we've discussed align with different models of value-based care that a provider or payer may have in place, uh, understanding that it's, it's so common that you know different payers and different providers have different ways of working and each contract has their own set of requirements, but it's important that that's agnostic to the patient, right? Um, and even though they may be eligible for very specific services, on the back end, they might look to a provider as different contracts or different programs, but it's still one patient. So it's, it's important that the engagement strategy compensates everyone, everyone involved in a way that's that's meaningful to them and centralized. So there is reduction in duplicative uh, work that we always see. Very interesting. And what are some of the common challenges experienced by ACOs when working with payers in value-based purchasing? How can payers help facilitate patient engagement and care coordination? Yeah, the, the, the most common challenges is the variation that may exist between one contract and the other, especially that's the case when providers participate in more than one contract, uh, let's say with a Medicare, uh, let's say CMS, MSSP product, for instance, and let's say a commercial um, shared savings arrangement with a national or regional payer. They may have different quality metrics that they have to report on. Um, the populations, although may be in alignment from a um, demographic perspective, still perhaps have different needs based on payer services. Um, so it's important that from a provider perspective, there's still the, the, the prioritization of making sure that the model is consolidated, meaning you're cross-checking what measures apply to all, all of your populations, um, acknowledge that the use of your revenue stream is not to, to really, uh, it shouldn't inform your entire strategy, right? So by that, I mean, quality measures should not be defining your strategy. And we've often made that mistake. And then what we find ourselves doing is that when a measure changes, then our strategy has to change versus looking at your, your value-based arrangements hol holistically um, at, a high, at a high level where you're really managing populations 
versus managing measures. Measures should always be part of how you uh, define a project success or um, identify what you expect from the process as well as the outcomes. Um, but it shouldn't be driving, in, in essence, the entire uh, portfolio of work or services that you are enabling for the patient. So I think that uh, along with proactive communications between the provider and the payer opens the door to having really fruitful discussions on what works best for the patient. Communication is key, it sounds like. It is very key. And everyone has a different way of communicating. So even establishing what communication, effective communication is early on, I think is very important. Hmm. How are you engaging providers and payers in quality and clinical improvement initiatives? There are different opportunities um, to engage providers and payers in different areas that are important to them. Uh, one is through partnerships. I, I'm always want to say that you can't do this work on your own. So identifying partners, whether that's payers, um, community-based organizations, um, organizations that are very willing to collaborate in a common vision, a common set of activities, I think is of the essence. So making sure that there is that opportunity to collaborate with others, uh, I think is, is very important. Uh, number two, in aligning resources, whether that's technology, whether that is deploying uh, improvement activities specific to a population, right? And that ties very closely to my, num my number one point. Um, because again, you're, you should never feel that you're alone in deploying an improvement activity that services a specific population. So for example, um, if you're working on reducing admissions for your diabetic population, it could be that you are working with your payer in obtaining data of when these patients are being admitted. Um, maybe you're working with a technology company that deploys remote patient monitoring so that that patient upon discharge is being monitored. And that way some, a nurse or a part of your care team is, is following up on any escalations uh, driven off of, of, off of that report, that perhaps you're working with a CBO to make sure that uh, that patient is also receiving uh, further guidance on how to maintain healthy diet, nutrition, and access to healthy foods, right? So it's using those partnerships so that there is an alignment with the work that you're doing to better promote population health for a given cohort of patients. And then lastly, but certainly not least, is being able to, to track performance, understanding this is where I started when it comes to my performance or my baseline data and monitoring so that you know, we leave all the eagles on the side and make sure that we allow ourselves the opportunity to change course midstream if we see that we're not yielding the results that we are expecting. So collaboration, data, having an established process uh, that, that funnels through uh, a very specific set of interventions, probably the best recipe for, for success in an ACO environment. And what role does data play in building ACO partnerships, particularly when closing gaps in care and addressing social determinants of health? Well, data, uh, it's, it's really, uh, data falls in different categories. Data is used potentially for identification of patients and opportunities that 
are missing services, right? So to your point on closing gaps in care, uh, data is used to measure baseline performance, but also performance throughout. So data can be used, for instance, to, to measure adherence to a process that you perhaps established for that same diabetic patient and your ability to, for both the patient, but also the care team to follow through specific protocols that you've established. Uh, data can be used uh, to measure in quality. Uh, measure can also be used to advance the evidence that your process is working, right? So wouldn't it be great for us to live in a world where we can share, you know, more proactively at least, these are the interventions I established for my patient population, and this is the combination of activities that worked for that patient to get them to the outcome that we expected. Um, unfortunately, we don't see that often because there's so much data sometimes that we miss the opportunities of measuring how individual interventions versus interventions in combo impact our goal. So my, my biggest um, advice is when, when, when you're leveraging data to really get synchronized across whether it's measurement or reporting or identifying population, is that you process this through PDSA cycle so that you are in a position of also evaluating program success as well. What are some of the data drive tools to help ACO and payers support a quality management strategy? So there are different data types, um, self-reported data that originates from patient surveys uh, or patient satisfaction surveys is always a plus. It helps you understand how patients perceive uh, their ability to receive, but also perceive um, how services are delivered to them. Uh, claims data, because you want to know, and that generally comes from the payer, uh, claims data enables us to all get a 360 view on where services are rendered and where there's opportunity for better documentation across any provider network for that, for that payer. Uh, and then there's the EHR data that includes everything from, you know, your traditional medical record, you know, office visits, lab procedures. I think in aggregate, it gives such a great picture of what is going through the mind of the patient, but also um, a great opportunity for you to understand clinically um, what profile of patient population you are working through, which will then enable you to identify where are the opportunities um, is it a patient engagement? Is it that they're not adhering because of specific barriers? Or is it because the way that we're communicating with them uh, can, can be adjusted? Um, so I think identifying data that originates also from the patient, whether through satisfaction um, surveys or remote patient monitoring or other form of remote means is super, super important more than ever because it helps us identify where we may be lacking and where there's opportunity to make a change. And how is this impacting value-based care models and clinical reporting? And what are providers' perceptions of these reports? It's, it's, we have mixed reviews. Um, and and I, I think the reason is it, it is a very tedious process for many of us uh, to conduct like, let's say chart reviews at the end of the year. Um, and work with payers to facilitate that process. But we need to start thinking through, if we haven't, of ways to automate the, the sending of information from a provider 
to payer and payers also in response to that to be able to provide providers with more uh, up-to-date uh, reports on activities that perhaps have been performed by the patient or provider. There's always seems to be a, a lag and a lot of it is normal to the business that we're in, unfortunately, but in order for providers to act on things um, quickly, um, they also need to be aware. Um, on, the, on the flip side of that, it's important for data elements to be shared with each other in a way that's digestible by, by each entity. So for example, providers may get a dashboard or report um, from a payer or a partner provider, but without the necessary actions on how to make that, that transition from data to action. Um, so the most successful ACO uh, payer to provider arrangements that I've seen is where both work together towards identifying opportunities of how to turn that data into action in a way that's much more seamless versus just setting the expectation, here's your performance, run with it, right? Both have a steady hand on how to use that to, to improve performance on quality and further close gaps in care. And how are providers reacting to clinical reporting and making this data actionable? Providers are very open about understanding performance. At the end of the day, they're in the business to promote you know, health for a patient and be there as an advocate and, and deliver good care, right? I think that's, that's the notion. I think where uh, sometimes data received falls a bit short is when it lacks that actionable piece, right? Um, what are the provider's roles? What are the provider's expectation as it relates to following through and taking that, that data to really the next step, right? How, how does it impact patient behavior? How can I do gooder for the patient? That's where, that's really what providers crave. Um, without the expectation of, I look at my report card and all of a sudden I need to, I know exactly what to do with this next, right? And um, so I think making reports more actionable by funneling them through technology or through other seamless processes makes this mindless for the system and certainly much more meaningful for a provider. My suggestions to provider who are hearing this or payers who are hearing this, especially in Q4 of 2020, um, highly encourage that the that you that you all align yourselves in terms of having proactive discussions on how to make your plans for 2021, um, regardless of when the vaccine right becomes accessible, to be very much aligned to um, customer engagement, right? So make it much more customer centric, um, but also as we've done with any vaccine um, in in the topic of COVID. Uh, it's important that we all start mobilizing ourselves, thinking through how will we make this vaccine accessible to our patients? So that's something we don't have to wait on a vaccine for. That's something that we can act on soon so that it meets your priorities around patient access, um, patient engagement, and patient safety. Uh, on the flip side of that, as it relates to quality and as it relates to population health and measures, it's important that you continue monitoring content and measure performance, regardless of whether you have to submit data to CMS or to the payer or to other. It's important that closing gaps in care uh, continue to be a high priority because it, it essentially will help us understand 
what communities are most affected, and then we can deploy the right resources to it. So again, regardless of the, the changes in reporting regulations, member engagement, patient engagement, in making sure that providers are included in these discussions and monitoring access to care for our patient population still remain an all-time high more than ever. I couldn't agree more. Thank you very much, Vanessa, for joining us on this edition of Inside Healthcare. And we will definitely talk to you again sometime soon. Very good. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.